This program is brought to you by Bobbleway Media, under the oversight of the elders of the Chipman Road Congregation in Lee Summit, Missouri. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. Last week we studied in Romans chapter 9 verses 1 through 13 and he's just now concluded that physical Israel and spiritual Israel are not the same thing. Physical Israel basically rejected the gospel while spiritual Israel, the church, obeys the gospel. Paul then gave the historical roots of the promise made to Abraham. He showed that physical Israel had all the advantages for them to believe the gospel, but again, mostly they refused. Now, starting here in Romans chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verses 14 and following. Paul is now going to show that God will accomplish his will to save mankind, even though many will reject that salvation. In Romans 9, 14 through 18, we see God's faithfulness in spite of Israel's obstinacy. In Romans 9, 14, we find that God does not act in an unrighteous manner in choosing the ones he chose. Romans 9, 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. See, God was working out his plan for our salvation the Israelites had a misconception that they were special, but God's choice of them to bring the Messiah into the world had nothing to do with the goodness of Israel. God is not unrighteous in rejecting disobedient Israel and accepting the submissive Gentiles who form the larger part of spiritual Israel or the church. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, The Jews had the advantage over the Gentiles, but again, mostly refused to obey. Acts 1, 8, Jesus said to the apostles, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So we see that the gospel began to be preached in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, but it also went to the Gentile world as well. In Romans 1.16, Paul wrote, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. In Romans 3.1 and 2, Romans 3.1 and 2, we see there, Paul asked the question, what advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of the circumcision? And he answers that in verse 2, much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. And God has mercy on those that obey him, whether it be Jew or Gentile. In Romans chapter 9, verse 15, Romans 9, 15, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So in other words, God is saying he will have mercy and he will have compassion on both Jew and Gentile. Back in Exodus chapter 33, we want to look at verses 17 through 19. Exodus 33, 17 to 19. 
It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So there we find the context of the statement that Paul there quoted in Romans chapter 9. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9, we see about the same thing. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know ye there, or know therefore, that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him, and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. In Proverbs 28, 13, Proverbs 28, 13, we get an example of to whom God will show mercy. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. In Isaiah 55, verse 7, we see this the here as well. Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So we have examples there of to whom God's mercy is shown. In Romans 9.16, we see that Paul gives a summary of his arguments up to this point. Romans 9.16. He says, so then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. You see, God worked out the plan to bring the Savior into the world. You know, we know that from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God's blessings are made available through God's grace, which does not depend on what we want for ourselves or hastily go after, but what God wants for us based on the conditions that he set forth. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, not of meritorious works. We cannot earn God's grace. But we are to work. Verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In Romans nine seventeen, God was going to accomplish his will no matter what Pharaoh did back in the Exodus. Romans 9, 17. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up that I might show my power in thee and that through my name might be declared through, or that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. In Exodus chapter 9, verses 13 through 16, we see the where this statement comes from. Exodus 9, 13 to 16. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, 
that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart and upon thy servants and upon thy people, that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. For now I will stretch out my hand that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence, and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. So Paul is quoting here what was stated there to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's actions were calling attention to who God is and what God does. Look in 1 Samuel 4, 7, and 8. 1 Samuel 4, 7, and 8. This is whenever the Israelites had brought the Ark of the Covenant into the camp to fight against the Philistines. It said, And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is coming to the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us. Who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. So the Philistines understood who God is and what he does through what, was ha or what happened to the Egyptians. In Romans 9.18, we find that God makes demands upon the sinner that are against his or her lifestyle. And they must choose either to repent and obey it to receive mercy or to reject God's commands by hardening their hearts against him. Romans 9.18 says, Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. You see, Pharaoh operated under his own free will, just like we do today. And God's word will cause some to obey. Some hearts will obey that. You look at the parable there of the soils. But there are some who will harden themselves against the word of God. Now, there's an anticipated objection that's asked and answered in Romans 9, 19 through 24. Romans 9, 19, they ask the question, why does God punish people who cannot help being who and what they are? Romans 9.19 Thou wilt say unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Well, apparently some of his readers were still confused about whether God causes people to be what they are. People still do that today. But God does not make people what they are. People make themselves what they are. Well, they're claiming then not to have resisted the will of God. See, this is typical of people who not, uh, do not understand that God does not program us. We're just not software that's been programmed. We program ourselves. In Genesis 3, 11 and 12, you see, this kind of person tries to fix the blame for his sin on God. And that's what Adam did in Genesis 3, 11, and 12. 
God said to Adam, he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. So he's blaming it on Eve, but he is also blaming God because you gave her to me. You see what you did? That's the way people are today. In Romans 9.20, <clears throat> it's foolish to get into a verbal battle with God. And people do it all the time when they argue with his word. Romans 9.20 Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? The see, the thing formed there is mankind. And the one that formed mankind is God. Why did you do this to me? Why did you make me this way? Well, he didn't. Human beings have no right to question God. Job learned that in Job 40. We want to look at verses 6 through 9. Job 40, verses 6 through 9. Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, Gird up now thy loins, gird up thy loins now like a man. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me, that thou mayest be righteous? Hast thou an arm like God, or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? To all those questions, those are rhetorical questions. No, 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 no. And yet people still do the very same thing today. In Romans 9.21, the sovereignty of God establishes the conditions of election. Romans 9.21 Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? You know, whoever the potter is there, he can make any kind of thing he wants to out of that lump of clay. In Isaiah 45, 9, we see something here about those who strive with God. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker, let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioned it, What makest thou, or thy work, he hath no hands? There's the same thing. Shall the clay say to him that fashioned it, you know, arguing back against God? And yet people do that against God's word all the time. In Isaiah 29:16, Isaiah 29:16 it says, Surely your turning of these things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he had no understanding? And yet we see the same thing today. People arguing against God. Oh, he didn't make us. There it is. He didn't make us. We evolved from monkeys and all kinds of jazz. Or he had no, God had no understanding in doing what he was doing. Brother Robert Taylor made this point on this verse, and I quote, Look at two men in the Old Testament who were contemporaries, Moses and Pharaoh. Moses was of pliable clay and willingly became a vessel of honor in the Lord's service. Pharaoh was of sorry clay, hardened in pride, selfishness, and stubbornness, and was a vessel of dishonor. Unquote. In Romans 9.22, wrath and long-suffering both belong to God's character. Romans 
says, What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? Well, kind of explaining that, Paul in Romans 11.22, Romans 11.22 says, there, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity. But toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt also shalt be cut off. So there is God's goodness and God's severity. In Romans 1.18, God's wrath is shown to be against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of mankind. Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. You see, God has endured a great deal from mankind with a lot of his long suffering. When you look in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, 1 Peter 3, 20, says, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The long suffering of God. You know, there, were, there was a hundred years there from the time that God told Noah to build the ark and the time that the flood came. In 2 Peter 3, 9, we find there that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, when we sin, we become vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. The word fitted there from the Greek word katarizo. Thayer's, one of his definitions of that word is to fit or frame for oneself or prepare. We are, to, we are preparing for destruction whenever we are unbe- unobedient to God. In Romans 9.23, on the opposite side, God will give abundant blessings to those who are obedient to him. Romans 9.23 says, And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. You see, those he's talking about there have met the conditions of the election set forth by God in order to receive the blessing of salvation. Look at Colossians 1.13. Colossians 1.13. It says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. We did that because we met the conditions of God's plan. The election that was set forth by him in order for us to receive the blessing of salvation whenever we obeyed the gospel. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation or lifestyle received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 
we access the precious blood of Christ in baptism. In Romans 9.24, God called both Jews and Gentiles for salvation. Romans 9.24 says, Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So the Jews and the Gentiles were called by the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 2 Thessalonians 2.14 says, Whereunto he called you by our gospel, to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're called by the gospel. In Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7, Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, it says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. In Romans 9, 25-29, Paul gives four Old Testament quotations to prove that the Gentiles were included in God's plan for human salvation. First of all, in Romans 9, 25 and 26, we find two quotations from the book of Hosea. Romans 9, 25 and 26. And he saith also in Hosea, I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall thou be called the children of the living God. Well, those who are not God's people will be brought in as God's people. One of the quotations comes from Hosea 2.23. Hosea 2.23. It says, And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy, and I will say to them which were not my people, Thou art my people. And they shall say, Thou art my God. Paul is quoting from Hosea here because the Jews greatly respected Old Testament prophets. And they're going to have to reject something they held in reverence in order to decline that God allows the Gentiles to have salvation. The other quotation comes from Hosea 1.10. Hosea there taught that the Gentiles would be included in God's redemptive plan. Hosea 1.10 says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, You are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God, referring to the Gentiles. But you see, the Jews missed these crystal clear prophecies touching those who would compose God's true Israel. Look over in Acts 22, verses 21 and 22. Acts 22, verses 21 and 22. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. That's being spoken to Paul there. And they gave him audience unto this word, and then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, it is not fit that he should live. That's how much they hated the Gentiles. 
They wanted to kill Paul for making that statement. And then in Acts 13, 27, Acts 13, 27, while Paul and, uh, is in Antioch in Pisidia, it says there, For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which were read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in contemning him. Paul there was telling them about the Messiah, Jesus, who came into the world. And yet the rulers didn't even listen to the voices of the prophets that are read every Sabbath day. They killed him. Now in Romans 9, 27 to 29, Paul gives two quotations from Isaiah to show that physical Israel was not omitted from God's plan. Just because the Gentiles were coming in, that didn't mean the Jews were being left out. In verses 27 and 28, we see that though the people of Israel were as the sand of the sea, there would only be a remnant that would be saved. Romans 9, 27 to 28. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. This quotation comes from Isaiah 10, 22 and 23. Isaiah 10, 22 and 23. It says, For though thy people Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts shall make a consumption even determined in the midst of all the land. You see, the Jews of Paul day, Paul's day, and that's still the same way today, hold to the once a Jew, always a saved Jew doctrine, kind of like the once saved, always saved doctrine of the denominational world. It's not true. It's not true. In Matthew 3, 7 through 9, <clears throat> John the baptizer and Jesus tried to burst that Jewish bubble. Matthew 3, 7 through 9 said, but when he, that being John the baptizer, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. <clears throat> for I send you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. So what is he telling them? Who warns you to come? You show whether you're worthy or not through your actions that you have repented of your lifestyle. And then in John 8, 33 to 45, this is Jesus speaking here. Well, first of all, the Jews that were there in verse 33, they answered him, we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Of course, John 8, 32, ye shall know the truth, and truth shall make you free. We've never been in bondage to any man. Well, they haven't looked at their history. They were in bondage a lot. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. So Jesus right there is explaining. We're talking about bondage of sin. Verse 35, 
And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever, abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If you are Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man who hath told you the truth which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication, we have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. You're of the fa you ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. <clears throat> he was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Well, God would make short work that he mentioned, that Paul mentioned there in Romans 9, of physical Israel. But a small remnant would be left that probably refers to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. Now, in Romans 9, 29, there were not sufficient faithful in Israel to save it from destruction. This is the next quote from Isaiah. Romans 9.29 And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we had been as Sodoma and made like unto Gomorrah. The word Sabaoth there means hosts or armies. In other words, God is the master of armies. But he's saying here that unless there was a seed left, a remnant left, they would have been destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah. Nothing left. In Isaiah thirteen nineteen, Isaiah thirteen nineteen says, In Babylon the glory of the kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees, excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. There was nothing left of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Babylon the city of Babylon of that day is ruins. Never has been inhabited since. So Isaiah referred to the destruction of Babylon as being the same as the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, only four left Sodom and Gomorrah and only three of them survived, Lot and his two daughters. Paul uses that same reference here to refer to the destruction of physical Israel. Few will survive. In Matthew 24, verses 15 to 22, we're looking here at 
the signs for the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, but we find that God would leave the seed, the remnant, who were faithful. Matthew 24, 15 to 22. Jesus said, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. We're talking about the Roman armies there. Verse 16. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto those of them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So Jesus there is telling them that whenever this takes place, whenever you see that sign, you get out of Jerusalem because the destruction is coming. And it did come. And he said, don't, you know, pray that it's not in the winter. It'd be cold and hard to travel. Pray that it's not on the Sabbath day because the gates of Jerusalem would be closed. And you read in Josephus' Wars of the Jews about the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. You will see horrible things that took place because it mentions there that in verse 21, the great tribulation such as was not since of the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor yet ever shall be. It took place then. In Romans 9, 28, he says again, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. In Romans 9, 30 to 33, we find that the reason the Jews rejected the gospel and we find why the Gentiles accepted the gospel. So we see why the Jews rejected it and why the Gentiles accepted the gospel. In Romans 9.30, Paul drew the conclusion of what the evidence presented. And this is that conclusion. The Gentiles attained the righteousness which is by, of faith, which is of faith. Romans 9.30 What shall we say then, that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith? That is what they attained. The Gentiles were not given the law of Moses. The Gentiles had not pursued the righteousness of following the law of Moses. The Gentiles had not been given all the advantages the Jews had been given from God. And yet the Gentiles attained righteousness. The question is, how? How did they attain righteousness? Look in Acts 13, 46 to 48. Acts 13, 46 to 48. Again, this is while Paul and Barnabas were there at Antioch of Sidia. So then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken unto you. That's talking about the Jews. But seeing ye put it from you, 
and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. They accepted it. In Acts 17, 5 through 8, again we find the Gentiles believed on Christ, but the Jews mostly did not. Acts 17, 5 through 8 says there, But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. They didn't believe, even though the prophets declared they didn't believe their own prophets. In Acts 8, 4 through 6, the Gentiles obeyed the gospel. Few of the Jews did. Acts 8, 4 through 6. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them, and the people with one accord gave heed to those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Well, why was Philip in Samaria? Because of the persecution of the Jews that were there in Jerusalem. In Romans nine thirty one. Israel had not obeyed the law of righteousness. Romans 9.31 But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. You see, they transgressed the law that they had. Look in Acts chapter 7, verses 51 to 53. This is Stephen's sermon there. Acts seven fifty one to fifty three, he said to the Jews, "Ye stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did. So do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the Just One, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers." who have rejected the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. You haven't even obeyed the law. In Hebrews 9.15, the Jews thought the law was their savior. Hebrews 9.15. Of Jesus it says, And for this cause he is the mediator of a new testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. You see, the Jews thought they could be saved by the law, but the law cannot save. They had to have a new testament, a new covenant from God. Because Hebrews 10.4 simply states, again Hebrews 10.4, 
For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. It can't be done. But the Jews looked for salvation in Moses instead of Christ. When you look at John 9, 26 to 34, and this is about the blind man that Jesus healed. John 9, 26 to 34, the Jews here speaking. They said unto him, the blind man again, What did he, Jesus, do to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God, and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Well, they answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. You see, whenever people have no answer for a good logical statement, they call names. You were born in sin. You're a racist. You're a misogynist. You're a homophobe. They don't have a good answer, so they have to call names. Well, they do that all the time. In Romans 9, 32 to 33, the Jews did not attain the righteousness of the law because they thought the works of the law would save them. Romans 9, 32 and 33. He says, Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. They did not seek the law by faith. The Jews thought they could be righteous in their behavior without faith in what God had prepared. Look at Romans 10, 2 and 3. Romans 10, 2 and 3. Paul of the Jews there said, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. In Hebrews 11.6, the writer there plainly states, Hebrews 11.6, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. They didn't diligently seek him. In Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 again, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, 
which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. What is one of those good works that people deny whenever they look at these verses? Baptism for the remission of sins. In Psalm 118, look at verse 22. And this is where the statement comes from about the builders and the cornerstone and all that. The Jews mainly rejected the one to whom the law was pointing, and that's Christ. But the true Israel of God, the believing Jews and Gentiles, the church, accepted him. Psalm 118, 22. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. In other words, they rejected Jesus. But he is the head of the church. In Isaiah 8, look at verses 11 to 15. Isaiah 8, 11 to 15. says, For the Lord spake thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Say ye not a confederacy to them to whom this people shall say a confederacy. Neither fear ye their fear nor be afraid. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling, and for a rock of offense, both to the houses of Israel for a gin, a trap, snare type thing, and a snare, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and snared and be taken because they would not obey. They would not believe. In 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 24. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 24. says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, and under the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. You know, a stumbling block to the Jews, they couldn't believe that Christ was their ruler. He was crucified. And the Greeks, a dead savior, that's useless. To them, but we understand. In First Peter two seven to ten, First Peter two seven to ten, it says, "Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner." And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light which in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So in Romans chapter 9, Paul told the Jewish reader that God has woven his will throughout history 
using the nation of Israel in particular to bring the Messiah into the world. But Jesus did not meet the expectation of the Jews, so they killed him. He mentions also that the Jews had great advantages over the Gentiles, but the Gentiles have taken greater advantage of what came through the Jews. And how ironic is that? Well, again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in to Opening the Scriptures, and I look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting our website, BibleWayMedia.org. You can find all of our podcasts on all major podcast platforms. As always, we thank you for listening.